Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Before we get to our podcast, let's get to our sponsor. And this is one you're definitely going to want to check out. It's the new ex-Miami apartment community, the most fun and convenient place to live for modern Miami locals, located right across from American Airlines Arena. Rents starting in the 1200s, including a huge gym, a two-level co-working space, an epic pool deck, and a lobby with a coffee shop and a cocktail lounge. Manage your keys, packages, and thermostat using a game-changing mobile app. You can rent an apartment furnished or unfurnished or rent by bedroom. Learn more at xmiami.co. That's xmiami.co. Mention five reasons and you'll get an exclusive discount at MoveIn. And now, on with the show. Welcome into another episode of the Five Reasons Podcast. This is number 42. I'm Ethan Skolnick here, as always, with Chris Whittingham. We decided that we were going to do post-game pods for as long as the Heat playoffs last, and now they're over. And so this will be the last Heat playoff pod that we do for this particular season. The Heat lose in five games to the Philadelphia 76ers, hung in there again in the first half tonight. This time it was the third quarter, not the fourth quarter, that did them in as they lose one Reverting to their third tonight. quarter ways. Third quarter ways, a little bit of a different game in terms of pace than we've seen in recent games, but the result uh, was the same as three other games in this series where really the Sixers just have too much talent for the Heat. So we're going to do a little bit of a post-mortem on this, but we're going to look ahead a little bit also because I know you don't want to be too depressed as a listener in terms of what you're going to get here, um, one thing to mention before we move on, be sure to follow us at Five Reasons Sports. That's the number five reason sports will continue to bring you heat content uh, from us and also from our partner, Miami Heat Beat. Uh, but also we're going to be doing a lot of stuff with the NFL draft this week, including on Thursday, where the guys from three yards per carry will be taking over the account for the entire day to take your questions related to the draft that's in addition to wednesday another segment of ask ck with ck parrot chris kaufman on that particular account so definitely check that out we'll have more information for you at the back end of this pod all right so chris let's get into it here with part one and we're going to dissect a little bit of what happened tonight before we move on to what this means for the future. And the big difference tonight, Chris, for me was that, again, the pace in the first half I thought was much more to Miami's liking. The problem I had with games three and games four was that Miami was scoring easily in the first half, but simply playing too fast for what they really want to do. And eventually that was going to catch up with them. So I thought with this game tied at the half at 46, that Miami was actually in pretty good position. The, the Heat were not shooting very well. They got nothing out of Josh Richardson, which is something I want to talk about a little bit more here because I, I did not think it was a great decision for him to play. And that's not hindsight. I tweeted that before the game. The Heat have typically not had great success when guys have pushed themselves on the floor in the playoffs. I go back to a couple situations in particular, Chris, before we move on. Udonis Haslam coming back from injury in 2011 in that Boston series. It was the worst I've ever seen him play in his life. And he ended up coming back in the Chicago series and playing pretty well. But that Boston series, he wasn't ready. Can, can we say that him playing in those games might have ruined the rest of his career? Yes, yes absolutely. Yeah. And, and if you talk to him about it, uh, he acknowledges it, that he should not have come back and played. Again, he gave them a huge lift against mm -hmm. Chicago. He had these eight maniacal minutes against the Bulls, but that Boston series, he wasn't ready. So I said that before this game, that I didn't know if it was a great idea for Josh Richardson to play. And I don't know if the injury had anything to do with this, but he picks up three fouls pretty quickly. Josh Richardson tonight, Chris, was a minus 17 in seven minutes. I couldn't so, believe the box score <laughs> when you told me that. I thought it was yeah. a misprint. Minus 17, team worst in seven minutes. And I'm not going to blame Josh for trying to get out there and help his team. Obviously, uh, he wanted to be out there, and I respect that, but uh, probably should not have started tonight. So, I mean, that was one issue. The other issue was you knew from the start tonight that Hassan Whiteside, again, was not going to be effective. We'll touch on that more here over the course of the pod. But even with Richardson and Whiteside 
giving you nothing and James Johnson not having a field goal in the first half, the Heat were tied, Chris. Like, they were in this thing. And then we saw the third quarter, and this was my big issue with Spolstra's decisions in this series. And as you know, I tend to side with Eric most of the time. But I never liked this starting lineup. And again, and I know, you know Kaius Duncan, our partner over at Miami Heat Beat, said that actually the last two games, the starting lineup was their best lineup. But I just never liked the composition of that lineup and the energy of that lineup in the second half. By the time that lineup checked out, the game was over. And so, uh, you know, I, I just, again, sort of questioned the decision to go with those five and not to get Wade and Winslow more minutes, not just overall with Winslow ending up with 25. Dwayne did end up with 31. A lot of them were late. But I thought that maybe even to start one of those two guys in the second half would have been a better decision. I think starting those guys from the beginning of the game would have been a better idea. And I we talked about this all year long, right? Finding the right combination of five players that allows you to best leverage your offense and your defense. It seems like the Heat could do either one or the other. I either put together my best defensive lineup, but then we can't score, or you put together your best offensive lineup, and then the defense gets shredded. I think Wayne Ellington probably would have, was sort of the biggest victim of that in this series where, yeah, maybe he can provide you spacing. He made a couple of threes, but defensively just gets run around in circles and gets lost and is unplayable on that end of the floor. So I think you saw what really we talked about all year long play out in this series in multiple respects, and that being one of them. I just I thought, if I said to you, Ethan, who are the two best players in this series for Miami? They were, for me, Dwayne Wade and Justice Winslow. Goran Dragic can make an argument to be in there as well. I thought Dragic was fine, particularly in these last four games. I don't even know what he ended with tonight, but I know he came into tonight with three straight 20-plus point games. So I thought he was good, but I thought Winslow and Wade had the most impactful minutes in this series, and if it's game five for your life, like if you're playing the next three games and you have to win them for your life, what are you sticking to your convention for, to your lineups for, to your rotation for? I don't understand that. And I think you saw straight away that, okay, they didn't start with, you know, Winslow or Wade, but then Spolster makes a change after 90 seconds to take out Richardson. He makes a change after three minutes to take out Whiteside. And so if you're ready to deviate from the plan so quickly, why not just devise a new plan? You had two games to, or two days off to figure out what that plan was going to be, and they just didn't. And I think all series long, Eric Spolster struggled to find combinations. And while I'm not surprised given sort of the Heat's mishmash of players, I do think he deserves a fair bit of criticism for not really being able to figure that out at any point in the series. The thing that surprised me about it, if you would have told me that they started that lineup in game one and the lineup looked as shaky as it did, that Eric would end up staying with it for the entire series, I would have thought you were crazy. And I, I said on the pod, we've been doing these pods after every game, that it typically takes Eric kind of an extra game to make that decision. And most famously, you look back at 2006. I'm sorry, excuse me. Uh, you look back at two, 2011. Yeah, most famously, you look back at 2011 and, you know, J.J. Barea being inserted into the starting lineup by Rick, Rick Carlisle and Spolster waiting until game six to put in Mario Chalmers, and I think Mario had 20-plus in that game six, and it made you think, well, why were they not doing this uh, before? But to go the entire series and not make a change, again, you know, during the 2012 run where Bosch got hurt, you know, Eric kept tinkering. You know, it was, I mean, he went with Derek Pittman, for God's sake, during one game uh, for, what, about three minutes, right? And then made and another then I decision. Think he, I think he picked up 14 fouls in those three minutes. He did. He did. And then that was the last we ever saw of Dexter Pittman, who, by the way, my favorite Dexter Pittman memories were always talking to him about Adele in the locker room. Really? Uh, Dexter, Dexter Pittman had a screensaver of Adele. Yes. He was, he was a big he was he was a big fan. I'll, I, I will admit that I, I'm a big fan of Adele. I think she's well, fantastic. Yes, I think she is, too. But it, it was an unusual conversation to have, a, <laughs> to have with an NBA player <laughs> in, in, in an NBA locker room. But getting back to the heat here a little bit. Yeah. Spolster's decision to stay with that group of five which, again, at the beginning of the series, I thought had more to do with just not losing Whiteside completely from a mental perspective. And so continuing to run him out there in the starting lineup. And so especially when Embiid came back and then, you know, Tyler, look, I know Tyler had what, 16 tonight, but Tyler was not healthy. And even if Tyler was healthy, he was not an ideal fit for this series. He's just not big enough to play against these guys for for any significant length of time. And, you know, I, he's supposed to went to Magruder by necessity today. I thought 
Magruder, who didn't play especially well, but I would have probably started him over Tyler anyway, even or started him over J- Josh Richardson, who wasn't sort of ready to play today. So I, I just thought from a lineup perspective, it, Eric had options. I mean, whether it was, again, Winslow or Wade or, or Magruder or going bigger with Olenek. I mean, there were a lot of different ways he could have gone. He chose none of them. And to stay with that particular lineup, and it does speak a little bit, Chris, to what you're talking about, that there was no lineup for this team that was going to be perfect, right? I mean, it's just the way that they're built, and that's not Spolster's fault. I mean, that's a roster construction problem, and that's something Riley needs to address. But I, I did think that Eric was a little, I don't know if stubborn's the word, but I clearly he didn't think he had a better option than that starting lineup, but I just never thought that lineup was going to work, and that third quarter was just disastrous and and I think you saw that coming yeah and I, I do want to point out though you, you mentioned the pace being slower in the first half if you actually look at the NBA.com slash stats number it was actually lightning quick it was 104 which is a really high pace number it really just seems though like the heat play better in games that are low scoring so to me and I I, I tweeted this and so it's not like me looking at the numbers and oh I I saw that no both teams played poorly in that first half I thought I thought Philadelphia had any number of chances to go out in front of this series and I think in general in this series they actually left a lot of chances out there I, I think they left big victories out on the floor because they particularly in three of the five games did not shoot well from three tonight it was seven of 28 from three and credit to the heat they adjusted a bit after Philadelphia's two incredible three-point performances but I just think the heat function better when offense is in the mud when offense isn't executing and we talked about their lack of firepower it really is about trying to take away the other team's firepower than it is trying to get your own going and so that's what happened in that first half is that both these teams were just really poor from the offensive end and then Philly finally got it going in that third quarter and that for me is the big issue is if you're looking for something to diagnose about the heat this offseason is that they had the 20th best offense in the league and that's not good enough particularly when you're getting into you know scoring contests with teams like Philly or teams like Toronto or Washington that are getting into the 110s with relative ease I don't know how Miami is going to figure out a way to get that offensive firepower going unless Deion Waiters really is this game changer which I don't believe him to be yeah that's going to be the question uh is what they can expect from Deion I mean we've almost forgotten he's on the roster at this point because he was so bad in the first month of the season. And I think you have to write that off to a certain degree, but then you also have to say, well, the 30-game sample size that Dion had last year at the end was not really reflective of his career either. So I don't know where he fits. Is it in between those two things? If he's in between those two things, is that good enough? And the thing we're going to address here in part two is Dwayne Wade's future. And, you know, a lot of that depends on what they're expecting here from waiters because currently they have $33 million tied up in two two guards for next year um, in, and, in Tyler Johnson and Deion Waiters. And you can make an argument that the best two guard on their roster is Josh Richardson and he's playing out of position. So I, it's a real question going forward. But before we get to Dwayne, just to sort of put a capper on it uh, in terms of this game and, and things that, that stood out here. I mean, again, you know, the Heat were scrambling out to shooters. Uh, J.J. Redick it was just too much for them to cover. I mean, that, anybody that they put on him uh, was a problem. And, and it, again, shows you what Philadelphia can offer to players who want to sign one-year deals with them going forward. Like their J.J. Redick deal, yeah, it's a ton of money. What was it $22 million for one year? Million. $23 million for one year. It's a ton of money, but again, it was a, it was a minimal commitment in terms of what they have go, going forward because it was just the one-year deal. And I do believe, and we'll get into Philly a little bit later in the pod, but I believe Philly is going to be able to add any shooter they want over the next few years. It's not going to be real difficult for them to be able to do that. So, so they're they're very very well positioned. And if JJ Redick doesn't come back, they will find someone else who may not be as good as JJ Redick, but he'll be a, a similar type player. But a couple more things just on on this game um, in particular. You know, we mentioned Josh Richardson a minus seventeen. Uh, the the top plus minus player on the team for the Heat tonight was Dwayne actually uh, in thirty one minutes d- d- despite a four for fifteen I, I mean he got off to a good start I think he made his first two shots so that means he would have went two for thirteen for the rest of the game so it's not like he was scoring but 
he was part of the moments that went well, particularly that fourth quarter comeback. He was on the floor. Him, Olenek, and Justice Winslow end up with the positive plus minuses because of that. Yep, absolutely. Uh, but a few other players here. I mean, I thought Bam Adebayo had a couple moments tonight, but he had a rough series. Uh, not unexpected for a rookie. But Dent raises this, though. I mean, I like Adebayo's future. But again, makes you think, I mean, if the Heat had not made that run last year, and I know that's something that you harp on, um, but I mean, they were going to take Donovan Mitchell if he was available at their spot. And you just look at what Donovan Mitchell's doing right now. uh, That makes you a little bit upset there because uh, I mean, okay, but if they went 11 and 30 and then 11 and 30 again and ended up with, you know, the fourth pick or the third pick, maybe they don't take that. I mean, if if, maybe maybe it's right. If they had Jason Tatum right now, I mean, you'd feel pretty fired up about uh, the the Heat's future because but I mean, if you had Fultz, you wouldn't feel so good or, you know, maybe even Lonzo Ball. I mean, maybe maybe the whole outlook looks different depending on which rookie you take. But yeah, I, I think that I think Bam for the 13th pick is much more than you could have expected. I think what he's given you this season and his and his future the the one thing that it does though and we'll get to Whiteside later on is it just makes him further and further redundant. Absolutely. Absolutely. And look, Bam had uh, on the whole like you said a promising rookie season. There's stuff to build on with him, uh but I think you saw some of the And just the idea that in this game Spolstra in in the game for their season trusted him with more minutes than he trusted Whiteside with. I mean, what does that say? Well, again, that's why we're going to touch on Hassan here quickly because uh, clearly that says a lot, especially because the leading guy in minutes tonight was Olenek with 37. So they actually gave, between Olenek, Adebayo, and Whiteside, um, they actually gave 63 minutes total to their centers. So they paired them a little bit together tonight. You know, Winslow, you mentioned, he was a plus six tonight, had 12 points, was three of nine, stepped into his shots, had a couple of really nice drives and finishes like that. To me, we can talk about the shooting a lot and we have and how he's become more confident and he was two of six on three tonight. But to me, the biggest step for him from a development perspective that I've seen lately is just his assertiveness on drives and the finishing around the rim. Like that seems to over the last month, have really gotten better. And and if that, to me, that's, you know, we're going to touch on this more too, but to me, that's the biggest positive of this series is we saw uh, a different Winslow. But again, the Sixers just have so many guys and didn't even play Fultz tonight, went 10 deep. And they're just, I mean, I think, can we pretty much sum this up before we move on to the next part, Chris? Just better, right? I mean, yeah. it's just just better. I mean, that, I mean, and when that, when that's the case, you know, a team can hang with you for half or for three quarters, but Ultimately, the better team in the NBA, it's not like, you know, a fluky situation you have, you know, in the NFL or especially in baseball where you have a hot pitcher or hockey where you have a hot goalie. In basketball, the better team typically wins a series, and and this was the better team. All right, let's move on to part two here, and let's address Dwayne Wade. We've talked about the stat line a little bit tonight, not his best, 4 of 15, uh, 11 points, plus 7 five rebounds, five assists, a steal, and a turnover. He had two really great games in this series. Uh, One led to a victory and probably was the only reason they won. Um, The other one was wasted in defeat when the Heat let that game get away late. Uh, I thought a little bit, you know, sort of a, you know, if this is it for Dwayne, um, it ends on the same court where it started. Uh, he, He played his first ever game as a professional in Philadelphia. Uh, I proudly say that I was there and, and watched him against Iverson that night, and he was shell-shocked, right? Uh, now we look back, and we're, what, 15 years later, and a lot of stuff has happened in between. So I don't know if he's done uh, for good. I would have loved for Spolster to get Haslam on the court with him for the last 30 seconds when this thing got away here a little bit. That didn't happen. Um, I would expect probably that UD moves into retirement this year. I don't know if Dwayne's going to, but I will say this. It's pretty clear that Dwayne made the right decision. Um, when Cleveland came to him and said, look, we have a deal with Miami. Uh, you're not going to play here very much the rest of the season because we're getting younger. Although I think if you now look at Cleveland's situation that Dwayne probably would have played uh, in the playoffs for sure. I mean, they're not even playing Ronnie Hood very much anymore. Clarkson's getting spotty minutes. I think Dwayne probably would have gotten minutes over those guys and maybe even J.R. Smith or Kyle Korver also. So he probably would have ended up getting time in Cleveland. But look, even if Cleveland makes the finals, which I don't think is going to happen now, but even if they they do, uh, they're going to get bounced 
I think, pretty unceremoniously in that series against Golden State or Houston. I don't think they can hang with either of those two teams. So I I think the fact that Dwayne wasn't going to win a championship in Cleveland, that he had this great moment uh, where he gets introduced again as a member of the Heat. Then he has the moment where he scores 27 against Philadelphia, hits the game winner. He has a great playoff game, adding to his litany of great playoff games, the one that he had in Game 2. He has the impact on the community that he had after the shooting in Parkland. I think when you add all of that stuff together, there's no question that Dwayne made the right decision to come back. And I think the organization made the right decision to take him back for all of the reasons we talked about, whether it was marketing, whether it was good feeling, and whether it was honestly basketball, because Dwayne was one of the few guys in this series that they could rely on. But I got a feeling that it's over for him, Chris. Um, I haven't talked to him about that. I've communicated with him a couple of times since he's come back, but I haven't I haven't talked to him about that. But just some of the stuff lately, the the wearing the hoodie to the game tonight. You know, I'm not for everyone, but I'm for, with my I'm for Miami. Just some of his language lately. Um, And also, Chris, this is the big thing. Their situation next year. As I mentioned, they have $33 million tied up in Deion Waiters and Tyler Johnson. I don't know how they're going to move either of those two contracts. And like I said, I think their best two guard on the roster may be Josh Richardson. And even if they don't re-sign Ellington, I just don't know what the role they're going to carve out for Dwayne is if waiters is going to go back to playing 28 to 30 minutes to justify his contract. So I think when Dwayne looks at all that, he doesn't want to play anywhere else. Now. I just think I would put it at about 65% that he doesn't return. I would say the money is probably the bigger deal because the heat won't have much money to give him. So unless he's prepared to do this all again for a pretty small amount of money, I would say probably, you know, maybe taxpayers mid-level, something like that. I, I just don't see where the money is for him to go and to, to go and come back and, and make a you know maybe ten million something like that to go and play. So I think maybe he doesn't view it as worth it. I mean, was it two years ago when he was a pundit for ABC for the NBA Finals? So I mean, we we could potentially see him move into the television role. By the way, Gabrielle Union has tweeted about this tonight. She writes, "quote I hope this isn't the end, but my God." Dwayne Wade has a career most people dream of. He is a damn legend, an icon, and of course you would add, and he's cute. So, uh, so Gabrielle <laughs> tweeting that out this evening, and I mean, I well, think- Gabby, Gabby also, uh, Chris, uh, Gabby also tweeted out during the game, as as you pointed out to me on a text, um, that Gabby t- uh, tweeted out that Dwayne should be playing more. Yeah, tonight, it says here, too. Uh, it says play Wade. It says quote, I'd say asking for a friend, but we all know what it is. Which mm-hmm. is, uh, which I, I imagine is her screaming at her television saying, can you put my husband in the game? Right. I mean, he did play 31 minutes, but like we talked about, I think he should have started. And you're, you're, you're going to want to go, and Eric Spolster said, I'm going to go down with Dwayne. And so I kind of wanted to see what that looked like. But I do think that if we're kind of looking at this from a broader perspective, I do think, though, that Dwayne Wade comes back. And it's only because I think that yeah, maybe he takes a while. We saw Gronkowski today, right, where he announced that he was coming back to the Patriots. If you still feel like you have something to give, unless it's so physically painful that it's not even – like Joe Thomas did that this offseason for the Browns where he talked about on a podcast – what it was like trying to get out of bed on Monday that he couldn't he had so he had so little left in his knees that just standing up to practice was hard and that you know going through 65 snaps is I don't think and look maybe there's more pain behind this than we know because like we talked about on previous pods he's been having knee pains for five years maybe the knee is just at a place where he just doesn't want to do what it takes in order to get that knee in the right place to go and play major NBA minutes but I just feel like and quality professional athletes don't hang it up unless they feel like they have nothing left to give. And very often, they they will give it up when no one wants them anymore. And that's kind of the sad way that teams go out. Now, Eric Spolster did say tonight uh, to uh, at his press conference, Manny Navarro tweeted this out. Uh, he, uh, Manny tweeted, Spolster said he doesn't even want to think about Dwayne Wade potentially playing his last game tonight. Quote, it makes me sad. Spo said, uh, said Wade could play off the bench forever and that is kind of indicative that I think that even with the redundancy of the Heat's backcourt at the moment he would have minutes to play on this team so I think Dwayne Wade will come back simply because he has something left to offer and I think 
it's very hard for a professional athlete to quit this before that expires. I typically agree with you on that, and I do think uh, that what we've seen with Dwayne is that he's aged much more gracefully than we expected. And you know, I go back which, again, which is actually, which is actually kind of crazy, right? Because obviously he had the you know get fall down six times, get up seven, mm-hmm. whatever it was. But he kind of mastered old man game as a high level athlete, and now he's just an old man with old man game, and it's the same damn. I mean, and and I, I enjoyed Kevin McHale pointing this out how every off guard in the league has had you know that that step back that turnaround fade jumper made in his face. It's the same. We've seen the, the same moves that he's been using for 15 years throughout this playoff run. So he has old man game, even with his breaking down body. He does. And I, I remember a conversation I had with Gary Payton once about this, where he was saying that when he first encountered Dwayne and they started playing together 2005, that he kept telling Dwayne, listen, you need to stop this because you're not going to get to your 10th year in the league. Like you need to stop falling down. And he's like, and Dwayne never listened to me. And here we are at 15 years. And if you were to say at the beginning of their careers with the styles that they were playing, that Dwayne Wade would look better at this stage than Carmelo Anthony, I think you would be laughed at because Carmelo's game should have aged better than Dwayne's. I mean, Carmelo never had any athleticism in his game, right? Carmelo's game was all about, you know, just being able to get shots off uh, mostly from mid-range situations. And he had an ability to do that. But Dwayne's game was above the rim at the beginning of his career. It was above the rim and on the floor, okay? And for him to be at this stage where he's 36 and he's still playing at this kind of level. And, you know, some of the things that have been going around Twitter, I mean, Dwayne Wade had, you know, until tonight, which again, didn't help with the 11 points on 415. But, th- but prior to tonight, he had a better playoff series than Damian Lillard did. Okay. In Damian's uh, four games. And you're talking about a, a, an MVP candidate in his prime. So Dwayne's still playing at a high level. But uh, again, the reason I don't think he returns, uh, if you would impress me on it is because a, he's not going anywhere else again, right? He's already done that. And it, didn't work for him. I mean, he didn't enjoy it. He didn't enjoy it in either place. He didn't enjoy it in his hometown, and he didn't enjoy it with his best friend. So he's not doing that again. Like, you don't. You don't think. You don't think he no. might do the Zaza Pachulia, David West, one year in Golden State. I, I don't. What's his role in Golden State, right? Like, I mean, I mean they, they're playing Quinn. They're playing Quinn Cook a big playoff minute. So yeah, they, I mean, I, they're, I they're playing Nick Young important minutes. So I, I think I think he could have a role to play as a bench scorer. Maybe, but he's so different from their style. But, yeah, I guess possibly. I mean, I guess they've been using Sean Livingston, right? And and Sean, I mean, he's not the same kind of player as Dwayne, but he's another player who doesn't really use the three-point line. And so I guess maybe there might be some place for him. But maybe there, I mean, maybe wherever LeBron ended up again, but does he really want to deal with the drama of that? Like, I, th- I, I would think... I mean, I mean, Dwayne's done that twice now. Uh, and so, I mean, and personally, I mean, I think we, we're going to we're going to do a different pot on this. We've done one already, but we should do it again. I mean, I think LeBron should go to Philly. I, to me, it's a no brainer at this point um, that he goes there. But, you know, would Dwayne join LeBron in Philly? Probably not. So I so I, I just don't think he's going to uproot again. I mean, he's got his kids back here in Miami. Um, his kids didn't go with him to Cleveland. Gabrielle's still working. She's got other projects. But I, I just don't anticipate uh, that after he did all this whole song and dance, which I think was genuine, um, about coming back to Miami and this being the only place that was really comfortable for him, for them to pick up to go play, you know, to be Patrick Ewing in, in you know, Seattle or Orlando. Um I, I just or, you know, uh, some of the other guys, I mean, and, and the other thing is, you know, you look at his return to Miami, it was much more successful than, say, the Scotty Pippen return to Chicago or the Allen Iverson return to Philadelphia, like it, already much better than either of those. Um, so I, I can't see him then after, you know, it, it went as well as it did for however many games it went and he got more moments out of it for him going somewhere else. And so, OK, so then you say the situation here. I really don't think it's about money with him anymore. Um, it was never really about money. It was about the, re- the the respect that the money showed to him. And so, but but, point, but we're still going to go through it again, though, right? Uh, maybe, but you know, look, is Mickey going to play pay tax for a team? Um, let's say that they don't get a whale, okay? And which I don't think they're going to get. All right, I know people are how, talking. How would, Kawhi. They, how, would, how would they even do that? Well, we're going to devote a whole pod to that, so let's not give that away. <laughs> but uh, but I mean, if, if they if they look, it, I mean, if they're not going to get Kawhi or Lillard or somebody like that, uh, somebody you know, Kemba, somebody additional to build around, um, then you're looking at uh, a team that again is probably middle of the road. 
that if they want to get rid of Tyler Johnson or Whiteside, is going to have to attach an asset or uh, which two. Mean, or two, which means you're looking at, you know, their three most important players on the roster to me right now are, are Bam, Josh Richardson, and Justice Winslow. And probably you're going to have to get rid of, like you said, one or two of those guys to just get out of, you know, cap hell here. So, I, so you're looking at that. So, A, is that what Dwayne wants to play on? Um, B, is Mickey going to pay tax for that team, which we've seen that Mickey will pay tax if he thinks the team has a real chance to win, but not if it doesn't. And so I don't know where you go there. And then, again, coming back to this, they're just overloaded with small guards, right? So I don't... You know, and you have Deion Waiters coming back, and they have to justify that contract. Or at the very least, they have to rehabilitate Waiters' uh, value enough that they can trade him. So he's going to have to play next year. Like, Deion Waiters is going to get 28 to 30 minutes. So where are the minutes for Dwayne? Backup point guard again? You're not. You're going to go into a season again with no true backup for Dragic? Um, or, again, what are you doing with Tyler Johnson and his $19 million? I mean, he's, he's got it. you got to, you got to give him at least 15 to 20 minutes to justify that. So when I look at that again— 15 to 20? <laughs> he's well, got to be like 28 to 32 well, to justify, to justify that. that. Right, but what did he get in this series, right? He got, yeah, he got basically like 12. 15, 12, right. So, I mean, maybe it goes up a little bit last year, next year, and if he's healthy. But that's their situation at two-guard, Chris. So I don't know. Uh, I just don't know where Dwayne – I would still rather have Dwayne on the floor than pretty much all those guys. But I don't know if they're going to view it. Um, they've already gotten the bump out of that that, that they wanted. Uh, I don't know that it's going to lead to a huge increase in season tickets for next year necessarily. So, I mean, I think to get an increase in season tickets, they need to get somebody from the outside who makes fans excited again, in addition to Dwayne. So, I, I just, I, all those factors together, if you had to press me on it, I would say Dwayne um, does not come back. This is CK here. Make sure to subscribe to Three Yards for Carry and be on the lookout for this Thursday's Mega Draft preview episode. Simon and I nearly come to blows over his favorite fat guy, Quentin Nelson. Yeah, you guys were really, really going at it. Al funny, mommy and daddy still love you. This goes back a long way, and it all started with some Indian food that was very clearly mine. Alf and I nearly come to blows over my favorite fat guy, Vita Vea. If you say that we're going to draft Vita Vea, then I'm calling you a on it. And of course, none of that matters because our very well-placed sources have told us emphatically that the pick will be... Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Podbean, Keep an eye out for announcements from at Five Reasons Sports on Twitter. All right, let's get to part three here of the podcast. And speaking of a guy who may not come back, um, I was looking at the numbers on this, Chris, uh, for the series. And as we're taping this podcast, Hassan Whiteside has already had something to say. Um, I feel like Barry should write the book at this point because Barry seems to ask the question of of Whiteside after every game um, or at least transcribe the quote after every game about Hassan being unhappy about his minutes and Hassan is again unhappy about his minutes, but let's go through um, some of the stats for Hassan in this particular series, 76 minutes, 26 points in the series, 30 rebounds, one assist, six blocks, 16 fouls, 12 turnovers played 10 minutes tonight. Embiid missed two games. Chris ended up with more than twice as many points more rebounds, more assists, more blocks, fewer fouls, and three more turnovers. So okay. if you look if you look at it on averages, he yes. played 15 minutes a game, averaged 5.2 points on 45% shooting, averaged six rebounds, one a little over one block and two and a half turnovers in 15 minutes a game, averaged a minus 5.2 in terms of plus minus. I mean that is calamitous. That is as bad as it gets. I was wondering if it's the worst series that any prominent Heat player has ever had. Um, I, I think uh, maybe we throw that out to the listeners here a little bit. I'd be curious if they can think of one. But I remember guys like Eddie Jones and Jamal Mashburn getting killed for series in which they scored between 13 and 15 points a game. So I'm trying to think if there's anybody. The only guy I can think of was... To the year 2000, at which 2001, 
which was sick of being upsold at gyms. My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Sad because he had a really good regular season. He made the all-star team. But Anthony Mason like totally checked out in a three-game series against Charlotte. Like totally checked out. Okay, that was actually against Mashburn's team. And he checked out because he was upset. And, you know, may he rest in peace. And I don't want to speak ill of the dead. But, I mean, I just remember, uh, you know, Mason during that series. He totally checked out because Zoe came back from his kidney ailment with 13 games left in the regular season. And it totally threw the entire rotation off kilter because um, Riley, you know, started giving minutes to Zoe again after it had kind of been Mason's team. And Anthony Mason gave no effort in that playoff series. That's the only series I can think of, Chris. Like, I, you know, you think of the prominent players they've had in history. I mean, people will point to LeBron's 2011 finals, right? And LeBron was historically awful for LeBron. It's the worst playoff series he's ever had, okay? And yet he um, still averaged 18, 7, and 7. <laughs> yes, right. Okay? Okay, so I, I, I'm trying – again, I, I would be curious for, for listeners' thoughts on this. I, I can't – I mean, just put the money aside even. Put the $98 million aside. I mean, LeBron was – I mean, LeBron, excuse me. Hassan was, you know, an important cog, whether it was for 26 minutes this year or 33 minutes last year in their rotation, in their starting lineup. Can you think of one? I, I cannot think of a guy who had a worse uh, playoff series. I mean, people had moments like, you know, uh, Mashburn passing to Weatherspoon or, I mean, there, Anthony Carter had some rough moments at times. I mean, there are guys that you can come up with, but never, never like that for somebody who is a key part of the rotation. I mean, think of how many playoff series that Dwayne went through and he had some ones that were clunkers for him. Again, I go back to Chicago 2011 in the Eastern Conference Finals where uh, Bosch outplayed Wade by quite a large margin. I mean, there, there were some series like that. Uh, Michael Beasley had, some, had, had a rough series in Boston in his second season, the one where Dwayne basically begged for help afterwards because Spolster was benching Beasley. But I, I can't come up with one even 10% as bad as this one was for a core guy in their rotation. Yeah, I, I'm trying to use basketball reference to my aid, and I just I can't think of uh, I, I can't think of any off the top of my head. Um, uh, let's see. <laughs> Oddly enough, some of the ones that are coming up are from this playoff series in terms of uh, players uh, who who had some pretty poor um, who had some pretty poor percentages and and the like. But I, I just uh, to me, when you look at the way that this series played out, Hassan Whiteside just. It was such a, I mean, I guess I was I was gonna say it was a bad matchup for him, but didn't we all kind of think that because he was playing against Joel Embiid that it would kind of go better than you know maybe some other series where you could scheme him out? And this is to me where we talked about Eric Spolster and his lack of finding lineups. To me, the place where Brett Brown just out tactic, out tactic. I don't know if that's a word, but out tactic. Uh, Eric Spolstra was in figuring out ways to make Hassan Whiteside more and more useless. Because not only are you putting the pressure point of making the choice of whether or not you have to play him, but then you're making life difficult for your opponent because then you have to deal with the aftermath of Hassan Whiteside being pissed that he's not playing. And you've seen it throughout the playoffs. You saw it throughout the regular season. When he doesn't play, Hassan Whiteside is a difficult character to deal with. And that is something that Eric Spolster had to consider, and we talked about it, right? You keep playing him so that you can keep him engaged. You wouldn't say that about Justice Winslow. Eric Spolster gave Justice Winslow a DNP coach's decision in the 2016 playoffs against Toronto, and it wasn't a problem. I mean, maybe Winslow was pissed about it behind the scenes, but he didn't he say it, right. But he didn't say anything about it in public. And no, so, and, it, and and it inspired him to be honest. I mean, right. conversations I had with Justice after the fact. Spolster gave Shane Battier gave yeah. Shane Battier. Okay, think mm -hmm. of what Eric Spolstra thinks of Shane Battier enough that Shane Battier is probably going to be running the organization in two or three years. Okay. That's my prediction where this, where this is headed. There'll be a combination of other people, Spolstra, Andy Ellisberg, uh, Nick Arison clearly will be in that group. Adam Simon, if he's still here, but, but I, I wouldn't, 
not be surprised if Shane Battier is running the whole thing. I mean, he's already been promoted once, and this is kind of what they're grooming him for. And Shane Battier was given a DNP in the Eastern Conference Finals, right? It was Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals against Indiana, and Shane Battier was so upset about it that he went with his wife to a karaoke bar, okay, after that game. <laughs> of course but he did. In Coconut Grove, <laughs> he went to a, of course, a Battioke bar. He went to a Battioke bar, in Coconut Grove, Grove after that game, and he requested Oasis's "Don't Look Back in Anger." Okay, that's how upset Shane Battier was about that situation. And you oh, know what, Shane? Song, ba- by the way, it's a pretty good song. We should actually play it on the pod. And okay, not only did Shane Battier get over it, but he had a great game, a historically great game in that finals. Okay, so look, this is not an organization that typically feels like it needs to baby people. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, they did it with Beasley, but they're doing it now with Whiteside. And so, uh, you know, I guess the question becomes here. I mean, there's a quote that came in. Uh, credit this to Jason Leisure of the Palm Beach Post. He, he, Dwayne Wade calls on Hassan Whiteside not to make excuses about this series. He pleads with him to work hard this summer and come back strong for next season. Quote, hopefully he gets motivated from this series. And then Jason says seems to be genuinely rooting for Whiteside to get it right. I respect Dwayne for saying that. You know how many times I've read that quote from Dwayne about either Whiteside or Beasley over the years? Yeah. I, I, it's just a broken record. It's it's Dwayne saying, basically, through gritted teeth, I like you, uh, but be a professional. That's basically what he's saying. Yeah. And so, um, I, you know, where do they go from here? I mean, uh, you mentioned it. <laughs> they they went to Bam Adebayo. Now, Kelly Olynyk for 37 minutes tonight. And Bam Adebayo for 17 minutes, where Whiteside played 10. And I was also looking at our friend uh, Maple, Maple Rick here on Twitter, and he was going through Whiteside stats. No deflections tonight. I think he had him down for one box out. Okay, so it's not just the raw numbers here, the, the 10 minutes and not contributing anything in the statistical stats, but not contributing anything at all. Uh, and so I just I don't know what they do, Chris. I mean, his value could not be any lower. I, I don't know... Um, you know, I, I think it's a contract and I was rooting for him when they signed him to the long-term deal because I, I saw positive steps from him, improvement in free throw shooting, improvement in getting out to shooters on the perimeter, some improvement in his post game, improvement in his kind of general focus, improvement in terms of not getting into it, uh, with other players. I mean, all of that stuff looked positive, but all of that has now gone the other direction. I think it's a contract that they can move after next season because it's going to be an expiring deal. And so those are always easier to move, even in the modern NBA. Right. I, I mean, have... we, we assume he'll opt in into the yeah. final year of that, which is 2019-20 would... at yes. $27 million. Right. So I think there'll be some team there that would take his contract just to be able to clean out the space after the season if they want to start over. That might even be valuable to the Heat at that stage, to Pat Riley or to Nick Arison. See, or... see, here's here's my thing. Here's my thing with the next... Right. Well, here <laughs> to Shane Battier. Right. Uh, here's my thing for the next two years. I think the Heat fans have to be okay with just eating the next two years. And I don't want Pat Riley to compound any mistakes that he's made by giving up first-round picks, by giving up Winslow, Richardson, or Bam Adebayo, or doing something that mortgages the future even more so that you can get off of these mistakes. I think between Tyler Johnson and Hassan Whiteside for the next two years, that's basically committed at somewhere between 45 and $48 million to those two players. Those are massive mistakes that are going to be hard to recover from, but the only way you make it worse is by trying to then fix the mistake in a way that just leaves you even more barren. So I think the next two years, to me, are just about eating your mistakes and trying to make the playoffs, trying to play in another competitive series or in a more competitive series than you did in this go-round, but I don't think there's much you can do about it. Well, like you said, the way to compound the mistake would be to package Justice Winslow with him just to get rid of the contract. And, uh, you know, that's that and taking a bad, uh, you know, a bad contract, but not as bad a contract back in return. I mean, that would be compounding the mistake. And I think after uh, people saw the way that Justice is capable of playing during the series, then he seemed to be the one, you know, one of the guys who was fighting throughout that I think a lot of Heat fans would be really angry about that move one more quote from Whiteside before we move on this is from Tom D'Angelo quote at least give me a chance to fight at least give me a chance to fight I can understand if I was playing 30 minutes and I played bad at least give me a chance but I understand his frustration 
But again, when you look at the box and the other things that he was doing and the way they were playing with him on the floor, and they were minus 14 in 10 minutes. I, you know, it's I, I, plus minus could be an overrated statistic, except when it's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know, and, except except when it like to me, plus minus in and of itself can be misleading, right? Because the other night wasn't Winslow like a massive minus, even yeah, though minus 27. Okay, so you have to watch the basketball and then compare it up against and see if it matches or if it doesn't, then you ask further questions. But anyone who was watching the game knew that Hassan Whiteside wasn't making an impact. Tonight, he didn't even affect Embiid, which was the big statistic that was thrown around in the last couple of days, particularly for Manny Navarro, was that at least Whiteside was defending Embiid individually very well. Didn't even see that tonight because Embiid finally got off. At that point, it's just like, what is he offering you? And you saw the, I think Mikhail was saying on that very first possession, when James Johnson gets around the screen, drives towards the rim, it does a pretty hard pass at Whiteside, but Mikhail, the you know big man extraordinaire, said he's got to catch that. He's got to finish that. And so it, it's from the very beginning. And yes, does Eric Spolster have a very quick hook with Whiteside? Without question. But it's earned. Right. It's absolutely earned. And, and you, you heard – here's the other thing, Chris, and, and you and I talked about this off the pod, is we're aware of the Heat's frustration with Whiteside, and we're aware of it because there are – are certain media members who tend to parrot the Heat's perspective mm-hmm. um, without getting into specifics on that. And those reporters have been killing Whiteside lately. And, you know, again, I'm not there every day anymore, um, but I know how that works. And and so uh, and I've talked to enough people down there to have a general idea. So they're frustrated with Hassan. That was clear before uh, this series. And although uh Look, although, as I've said on, on previous pods, they didn't go into last offseason planning to add Kelly Olynyk. Olynyk was only available because they didn't get Gordon Hayward, and Boston was clearing out salary because they were getting Gordon Hayward. Um, and they didn't go into the draft thinking they were definitely taking Bam out of bio because, again, if Donovan Mitchell had fallen to them, they would have taken Donovan Mitchell, and they had a couple of other names on their list there. So I don't think they went into last offseason thinking they would replace Whiteside, but I think when they got into camp this year and as the season developed, and they saw what Olenek was capable of providing, which fit Spolster's system better. And then they also saw that Adebayo was giving better effort than Whiteside. When you add those two things together, like you said, I just don't know where the role is. And I again, I don't know how you create a role for him next season uh, when more and more teams, it's not like the league is going backwards. I mean, they're not, you know, I mean, pe- more teams are going to be going smaller and smaller as we progress. And, and, more, teams are gonna, and more teams are going to try and take him further and further away from the rim. Yes, absolutely. So I, I don't, I just don't know where you go with it. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Heat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Carlo Navis. And with me today, producer and co-founder, Mr. Brian Goins. Hi! And Heat Twitter president, Alf. Alf, what did you think of Saturday's game four between the Heat and the Sixers? Ursan Ilyasova. Ursan Ilyasova. That Eddie Munster-looking fuck. I cannot believe we cannot beat Ursan Ilyasova. The dude has a fucking eyebrow like a fucking mountain ridge. Like, what the fuck is going on? He has a low-sloping forehead of a career criminal, and we can't fucking stop him. Ursan Ilyasova! Listen to Heat Beat twice a week during the NBA playoffs here on the Five Reasons Podcast Network. All right, let's get to the fourth part of this. This will be a little bit of a shorter section because I don't think there's quite as much to cover. But let's go over the things that went right for the Heat in this series, or at least things that were promising. Um, I think you and I both agree. Uh, you start with Winslow, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that, is, and that, that would be the number one thing. And as I mentioned earlier, I think it's it's more so than just the shooting. It's the aggressiveness. It's the finishing it's the competitiveness. Well, I, I, I do want to hit on the shooting a little bit, though, because he does step into it with more confidence. You saw it tonight. Now, he stepped into it and missed it a bunch tonight. But the first one he hit, and it's not, oh, I'm open, maybe I'll give this a go. No, I think Eric Spolster has pr- probably finally drilled this into him. Look, you get it open. We need you to confidently shoot it because the Sixers are going to keep sagging off of you. You need to make, you need to punish them, and you need to, you need to feel like when the ball is in the air, it's going in. And that, for me, from a shooting point of view, was a major step forward. Oh, absolutely. I mean, no question. I mean, because the shooting, like you said, if he, if he's not comfortable shooting the ball, it's easy to scheme him out of a game. So the fact that he's more confident, comfortable, more aggressive is a positive. I, again, go back to the driving and finishing because I, I think 
ultimately, um, I think point guard might be his position or point forward. I, I think that's sort of where he was trending as the season progressed when he was kind of running the second unit in a lot of st- in a lot of uh you know, stints on the floor, um, their numbers with him playing that position were good this year. So I think that'll encourage Spolster in the offseason to trust him a little bit more clearly in terms of the pecking order of, say, you know, primary ball handlers. He's moved ahead of Josh Richardson and Tyler Johnson, both of whom were being groomed to be point guards at one point. I think Josh made progress in a lot of other areas of his game, but I think justice as far as uh, being a pace setter um, and running the offense from the top, I I think that's something he'll get to do more often going forward. Um, So all of that is a positive. I think if you look at some of the other positives, uh, and the one other thing I want to mention on justice before we move on, there are certain guys in the NBA who are just better in the playoffs. Their games are better suited. For the playoffs, and, because- and by the way, because he did also improve in the regular season after Wade joined. I think there's also yes. certain players that feed off the energy of good players. Yes, I and certainly, and I think Justice is the kind of guy. It's what I was told about him when he was drafted that it was a much better situation for him to get drafted to Miami, where he had good vets around. And again, remember at that time they had Chris Bosh and Twain Wade. Um, that that would and and Goran Dragic. That that was a better situation than say getting drafted by the Knicks which is where a lot of people projected him to go, where he would be asked to kind of carry the franchise from the very beginning, like Porzingis has been asked to do, and that Justice would not be a good fit for that because he just didn't have the the offensive game. But I do think certain players are better suited for the playoffs because they're versatile, and when you have matchup problems in a series, you can use them on certain players and be more effective overall. And so I think we saw that from Justice in this series. As far as the other guys... I can't really point to another guy who outpaced expectations in this series. I thought James Johnson, uh, we got more of the good James Johnson than the bad James Johnson in this series. So I think that was positive. We're not really talking about that contract quite as much as we were before, even though that's not ideal either. Still pretty bad. Uh, It's still pretty bad. Uh, but, But at least he was a little bit more productive overall in the series again Josh Richardson I you know hard to grade him on tonight um, but as far as the, the whole of the series he was you know he was good defensively an extension of what he did in the regular season you'd like to see him be more consistent offensively next year particularly if Dwayne's not here maybe he sort of reemerges. Goron was Goron I mean I, I, don't, I don't think better or worse than we would expect from him uh, Olenek had a better game tonight he had a bad game four um, I mentioned out of bio uh, Wayne Ellington's another guy. He had three threes tonight, so he did produce three threes in each of his past two games. But I also think we saw from, about Wayne Ellington that they're probably okay letting him walk this offseason rather than going deep into the tax to pay him. I just, again, so many two guards on the roster. And even though you can always use shooting, I don't know that you, if he's going to be an $8 million player, maybe he won't be quite that much since we saw Lou Williams sign for $8 million per. But even if he's a 6 to $8 million player, I don't know if that's worth the tax price that you would pay on him. So, yeah, I would I would say the only real positive in terms of being better than expectations would be justice. I would say Goran Dragic, too. I mean, obviously you expect a lot from him, but having three straight 20-plus point games, I would say Wade also would fit into that category because I think he had one more high-quality playoff game than I would have expected. I would have expected one. And he delivered in game two, and I thought, yeah, okay, that was the one. And then he turned in a really solid game four performance in a losing effort. And I was like, okay, that, that's really cool that he was able to summon it twice. But uh, I, for me, Goran Dragic, I think he has a shrinking in big moments reputation that is well-earned based off of what he's done over the course of his Miami career. And so for him to turn in three really good performances and a fourth pretty good one, too, I would say is about, is more than I would have expected because I think particularly with Dwayne Wade coming back, I think if it was his own team or it was a team sans Dwayne Wade, he takes a bit more control and you expect a bit more from him. But I just think that there is a well-earned reputation of him and Dwayne not coexisting or him shrinking next to Dwayne. And I feel like he didn't in the series. I thought he, he was up for it from a physicality point of view, from a skill and playmaking point of view. I think he had a good series. Yeah, no, I thought he had a good series. And again, it was good to see him have uh, a couple of those games and to build on what he did against Toronto two years ago in the playoffs where I thought he was much better than the series against Charlotte. Hey, Chris, why don't you tell the people about the Balls cast? (laughs) Don't mind if I do. (laughs) Don't mind if I do. Hey, listen up. 
The Balls Cast is a podcast about Miami sports. All Hold kinds on, of Miami man. Hold things. On. Hold on. Culture and politics while two dudes smoke weed. It's a good time, Balls Cast. So you guys should check it out. All right, let's get to part five here. I know Heat fans don't want us to dwell on this very much, uh, which is the Sixers and where they may head now um, as they beat the Heat 4-1 and advance to the second round. And they're going to get Boston or Milwaukee in the second round. I think they're going to be heavily favored against either team. I put out a couple of things on Twitter tonight. Um, I guess maybe we close with this, Chris, as you kind of jump on these two points. Uh, The first thing I wanted to uh, get, get out there was the salary situation with the Sixers going forward. You know, Joel Embiid goes up to $25 million next year. Certainly, if he's healthy, he'll earn that. But then you look at, at their three other sort of young core players on the roster, which is Simmons, Darius Saric, who I thought was great in this series, and Markel Fultz, who hardly played in this series. But I, I don't think it's time to give up on him quite yet. I mean, worst-case scenario, he's, he's an upgrade over TJ McConnell next year, and, and obviously they have much higher expectations than that. And he'll play Those, like 10 regular season games, so he's got a lot of experience and a lot of player development still to do. Absolutely. And those three guys, those three guys, Saric, uh, Simmons, and Fultz, because of the nature of rookie contracts, make a total of $18 million next year. The Heat will be paying Tyler Johnson $19 million. Gives you a little bit of a sense of where the Sixers... Uh, are positioned right now. And, and our friend Uptown Report, who uh, is a big Heat fan, but also is on our Three Yards Per Carry podcast, tweeted at me tonight that maybe I was overrating that because he was saying they're going to have a hard time replacing potentially Redick, Ilyasova, and Bellinelli if they don't re-sign those guys. And my point on that, Chris, was they're always going to find shooters. Like, it's not going to be hard. Like, maybe they won't strike it rich the way that they did this year in terms of getting Bellinelli and Ilyasova on buyouts, which cost them nothing. Maybe they but, maybe they just signed Wayne Ellington. I mean, it's, it's well, not that far-fetched. I, I think that's a possibility. And your first thing, you always have players who want to play on emerging teams. And second thing, you're always going to have shooters who want to play with Ben Simmons because the only guy in the league who sees the floor better than Ben Simmons, in my opinion, is LeBron James. And shooters have always wanted to play with LeBron James. And we saw that in Miami when Battier and Allen both signed up for less money than they could have taken somewhere else. And Philadelphia, while not Miami in terms of attractiveness as a city, isn't that bad either. Okay, so. I just think it's going to be really easy for them to supplement this roster. I don't think they're going to have a problem at all until they start to deal with uh, Simmons and Saric on the extensions and they have to pay them a little bit more. Uh, To me, they're just incredibly well positioned right now. And I I think they have a chance, Chris, on the short term to get to the finals because – I do expect Cleveland to get past Indiana, but we've seen Kevin Love is not playing at a high level right now. LeBron has nobody else, and he's hurt, and as he always is. And LeBron has nobody else that he can count on in that team from night to night. So if you're to tell me Philadelphia, as they gain experience here, uh, if they end up in a series with Cleveland, and that would be after Cleveland likely has to get past Toronto in the second round, which I I think would be a much more challenging series for them than it was last year. And then they get to Philly after Philly, in my opinion, walks all over Boston or Milwaukee. I I think Philly has a legitimate chance to get to the finals this season. Totally agree. And I think we started to kind of realize that there was a path to this once they got the three seed and once you kind of see the way that the matchups broke down, the route to the conference finals was pretty clearly laid out. And now you've seen the way that this first round has played out so far. Both Cleveland and Toronto are in 2-2 series going forward. And it's very possible that both of those teams lose. Like if you told me that John Wall and Bradley Beal won a game in Toronto, I wouldn't be shocked. If you told me that Indiana, the way that some of those games in the Cleveland series have gone, finished the job because they, they feel like they belong on the same floor with Cleveland. And that, for me, is the major difference in the Eastern Conference with the last few years and this year is that teams are not afraid whatsoever of the Cleveland Cavaliers, and they're not afraid of LeBron James. The fact that Victor Victor Oladipo regularly goes at LeBron James, the fact that Boyan Bogdanovich feels comfortable defending LeBron James, and yeah, he doesn't always do it well or doesn't always hold LeBron in check, but feels like, yeah, I got this. I can do this. Like, there just isn't that fear factor with Cleveland. I mean, maybe Toronto has it. But because just because of the way that their playoff runs for the last two years have gone. But I think it's very possible that Philly gets an easy route to the conference finals. I thought tonight you saw a little bit of them running out of gas, but 
they're going to have some days off here because they, they took care of the series in five, and they're probably going to take care of the next series in five. And so they're going, even though they've never done this before, and even though they're probably not ready to you know, go all the way to the finals, they're going to have the opportunities to rest and prepare for series. And I think Brett Brown really showed himself well in that first round against Miami. I think they're more than ready to go on a big playoff run. And it's going to be really fascinating to see if a team that's this young with superstar players that are basically between games 80 and 130 of their careers can go all the way to the finals. I think this is the first time you're going to see a team win big in the NBA, largely powered by youth. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I I think the one example that I would point to, because this doesn't happen very often in the NBA, as you mentioned, um, I mean, even Oklahoma City needed like a four-year build, right? That that started in Seattle with Durant getting drafted and then adding Westbrook and then adding Harden uh, and having Ibaka as part of that core before they got to the finals. The, The one team I would look at a little bit might be the Orlando team with Shaq and Penny that got swept by Houston um, in that series that Nick Anderson missed the free throws in game one. It kind of set the tone for the whole series. I mean, that's the last kind of emerging young team uh, that made it quite so early as this Sixers team might have a chance to make it. And I think even they, uh, they I think they got bounced the year. I'll have to look, but I think they got bounced the year before. And by the way, oh, oh, pretty uh, quickly. And by the way, Oklahoma City slash Seattle, because Kevin Durant was, uh, his rookie year was the last year of the Supersonics in Seattle. Uh, he got to the finals in year five. Right. So it, it went from 20 wins to 23 to 50 in a first-round exit to 55 and a third-round exit, a conference finals exit to Dallas, and then 47, which was the lockout shortened season, and then lost to Miami in the finals. So the, the, it, it, took, it took Durant five years. If Embiid basically does it, obviously he missed two years in the equivalent of year two, and if Ben Simmons does, or it would have been year three for Embiid, uh, the equivalent of year two for Simmons, it's insane what these guys have done. And it's not like they're fluking their way to it. I mean, they beat Miami in five and were well worth their money. Uh, for for that victory in the regular season showed themselves to be a top 10 offense and a top 10 defensive efficiency team and those are the marks of teams that get to championships so it's not like they've figured out one way or a fluky way that they're doing this no they're just flatly good yeah they're flatly good and so the other question becomes this I threw this one out on Twitter I'm trying to find out what people voted here in the poll if I was to say you had a three-year timeline here with these two teams in the Eastern Conference, which team do you think, Boston or Philadelphia, uh, has a better chance to be the class of the East with how they're currently positioned? I would say, man, that's, that's a really good question. I would say Boston, and that is because you have confidence outside of their top two. So Boston has Kyrie and Gordon Hayward, but... They also have Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, who are emerging quality players, and Al Horford. But I, I don't even think of Al Horford. Like they've got five legit guys that they're going to go forward with, and then they still have another guy to add. Whether it's the Sixers pick, or, I'm sorry, the Lakers pick. If it lands between two and five, I think they get it. And if uh, and then if not, the Kings unprotected pick next year, which is just magic. Uh, if 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 you're if you're the Boston Celtics, that could be a top five pick easily. And so Boston has five. Whereas you look at Philly, I would say right now they've got three and a quarter between Embiid, Simmons, and by the way, it's not Sarich as all the commentators have said this week. It's Sharich. Sharich. I had right. no idea. I, I no, don't know Eric, when that Eric, happened. Eric, Eric Reed. No, Eric Reed gets it right. I remember Eric Reed even last season. Yeah. Uh, correcting himself on the air mm-hmm. and saying it was Sharich. So yes, I've, that's. I've correct. never heard of that with a, with one of those. I, I, is is he Serbian or Croatian? I've never heard the the first S turn into sh, Sharich. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so I would say those three guys are quality. Although actually I think, uh, Sharich is even a level below what, uh, something a player like Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum is. I'm not sure he's quite that sort of third star kind of guy. And then with Fultz, Fultz is totally unpredictable. So I would just say Boston has more at the moment, but maybe the high end between Embiid and Simmons is better than Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving. But I would say Boston right now is better placed. Yeah, I would say Boston for I would say uh, excuse me, I would say Philadelphia for that reason um, for right now, because I do think the high end with Embiid and Simmons 
uh, is the highest. I mean, you could throw Kyrie in there. I'm not sure what Gordon Hayward is going to be when he comes back. I mean, I, I would assume he gets back to full health. Um, I do think it was interesting that Utah was able to sub in Donovan Mitchell for him this year and what finished with a higher seed or, or same, I guess the same seed in the Western Conference. I don't know if that takes anything away from Hayward at all. I think he's a good player. I don't know if he's a Simmons or Embiid level player. I, I think ultimately um, Tatum or Jalen Brown may end up being the second best player on that team. So you're right. In terms of depth, it's more for Boston. And you didn't even mention a guy like Rozier who has stepped up um, as you know, I mean, he's a core guy now, I think for them in Boston. And that was a pick that Danny Ainge got a lot of criticism for that one's worked out pretty well. And I still think, uh, if they decide to keep Marcus smart, that, that he's a valuable piece for them too. So yeah, probably more depth in Boston. Um, but to me, the best player on either team ultimately is going to be Ben Simmons. And, and I would take Ben Simmons over Joel Embiid. I just think if you look at Ben Simmons numbers, uh, and everything he delivers and he has not even learned how to make a shot outside of 12 feet, okay? And he's still putting up these ridiculous numbers. And I went over his numbers from his first playoff series. And again, this puts into a little bit of perspective how good the guy in Cleveland is um, because I was looking at Simmons' numbers in his first ever playoff series compared to LeBron's. And I know there's a little bit of apples and oranges here because LeBron's first playoff series was in his third season, but actually LeBron was the same age uh, at that point. That Simmons is now 21 years old. And and here here were the numbers here, Chris, just to go through them. Simmons in this series, five games, 18.2 points, 10.6 rebounds, nine assists, 50% from the floor. It's pretty damn good, right? All right, now look, now look at LeBron. First playoff series against Washington, six games, 35.7 points a game, 7.5 rebounds, 5.7 assists, 51% from the floor. Um, I think Simmons, we've always talked about how LeBron was more magic than Michael. I think Simmons is more magic than LeBron um, is, but uh, I, I think he has a chance to be, uh, as LeBron finally starts to descend, and I don't know when that's going to happen, I think Simmons has a chance to be the best player in the league, potentially, because you already can see what he can do defensively, which uh, so he can change a game both ways, and it'll be very interesting, and maybe we close here, it'll be very interesting what LeBron thinks of that situation in Philadelphia this summer, because we talk about Philadelphia's future, a lot could change if LeBron James decides he wants to play there. And I know there are people who would question whether he can play with Simmons. I think LeBron can play with anybody um, in terms of that. And if LeBron and Wade learn to play together, and I know obviously Dwayne is better as a and as an off-ball player than Simmons is at this stage, but if LeBron and Dwayne were able to find spots on the floor and make that work ultimately, I think LeBron could figure out a way to make it work uh, with Simmons and with Embiid and with the cast of characters that they have there, and I think they'd be able to add another shooter. So that's the one wild card. I don't think LeBron's going to Boston. I think there's a chance he goes to Philadelphia, and that changes the whole equation. All right, let's uh, let's wrap there, Chris. We've gone long today, uh, but we wanted to wrap up everything that had to do with the Heat playoff series. We're going to weigh in again, likely on the Heat later this week, uh, before we start to get into some NFL draft coverage. If you want great NFL draft coverage, though, certainly check out the Three Yards Per Carry podcast. And like I said, they're going to be taking over the Five Reason Sports account all day on Thursday. So go there. Um, they're going to answer all of your questions. Um, there's nobody who knows more uh, about the draft uh, in this market than Simon Clancy and Chris Kaufman. So CK Parrott, Cy Clancy, going to take your questions there. Also, download the Live Vote app. If you can, you can get it on Google Play or on iTunes if you're on Apple and that's a good thing to do because we're going to be running contests off that soon. So download an app, check on the, uh, click on the Five Reasons channel, start to play around with that a little bit. We'll be posting the podcast there and also posting some votes. And like I said, eventually we'll be posting some contests. Thanks for joining us today. We'll talk to you soon. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.